Hello and welcome to Gatsby Fridays, a show about getting the best out of a creative life from two creative directors working around the world and based in New York City. I'm your host Alex Tremilio. And I'm Sarah Semi. Today we recap our visit to Dia Beacon in upstate New York. We talk about how being immersed in physical spaces influence our creative thoughts. And at the end of each episode we make a signature cocktail to toast cheers to you. I'm Sarah. And I'm Alex. And, and this, this is Gatsby, Gatsby Fridays. Fridays. Alex, before we get into our conversation about our visit to Dia, let's do a check-in. How are you and what are you wearing? I'm feeling good. This was a trip that we had planned for a while. It took us out of our it took us out of the city and we had to travel approximately 90 minutes to get there. It was great. I mean, it, parts of it were harrowing getting getting to the terminal, getting to Grand Central. I thought it was great. Once we got on the train, I thought it was. I thought it was a. It was a nice ride. It was pleasant. It looked great. Oh, it's a beautiful ride up on the Hudson. Yes. You 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 see the like you see the Hudson River on the left, and you see all these beautiful homes. There's a little boat sections across, like where people actually interact with water in their daily lives. Yes, a lot of docks. Um. So I don't know. Like I don't look at the trip as it doesn't. For someone who really likes her comfort zone, that trip doesn't discourage me as much as like it didn't shuffle me out as much as you're saying no 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 it was just it was just the, the getting the tickets because <laughs> well, i thought they were already bought <laughs> it was the getting the tickets but no it was i thought it was good it was a beautiful ride i mean i would totally do it again no totally it's not that bad like you just and also like it's not like you're going through to you know through penn station thank it's, goodness like Grand Central, you f- like I don't go through Grand Central. I don't commute, so I forget how beautiful it is when you get there. So like you, from the outside, also we we got really lucky with the lighting in the morning to get there. Mm. It was almost like glowing, and then you get inside and that grandness. It never ceases to take my breath away. Those three huge windows and the painting, like the the zodiac painting on the ceiling. It's just incredibly beautiful. It's, you know, like there's tunnels and levels and all that stuff, like if you're short on time, but it's actually beautiful to be there. You mentioned as we were walking towards Grand Central Station how it looked like a, a film still. Yeah, because the color, because usually, you know how they say that that magic hour is when like things like so, look so sharp and almost like this, like in, it felt like that because it was a cloudy morning and there's reflective buildings around it and it was crisp clear there's no like haziness from it was very cinematic yeah it was was beautiful yeah no i i love that trip the trip is so peaceful just sitting there it was nice it wasn't crowded at all not a lot of people i guess were going to poughkeepsie (laughs) on a weekday (laughs) on a weekday on a monday uh i am wearing a uh sweatshirt uh, army green sweatshirt and black jeans i just wanted to be comfortable for this trip oh, yeah, because same. I knew we were going to be doing a lot of walking, so I, I brought my comfortable shoes. We couldn't pack a big bag, so thank goodness because I didn't want to bring my computer with me anyway. And we packed a little snacks. Yes. Um, yeah, that was fun. How are you, and what are you wearing? I um, I'm still glowing about the trip. It always it stays with you when you leave that space. So mm-hmm. for this episode, we we're recording it the day after, and. You know, we usually do our museum trips on location and record on location. I kind of like this, like, it. it's so recent memory. It wasn't a week ago. It was, yes. it was 24 hours, hours ago. 24 hours ago. Um, so it, it's still, it, the thing about Dia is it takes you 
to a place where you you feel embedded in it so that it changes how you feel and it stays with you when you leave the space and you don't spend that much time there it just stays with you so i'm still kind of rolling on that feeling i was and i'm wearing black yoga pants shiny fancy fake leather versions so they're you know a step above more presentable <laughs> and and just a casual top and yes i stay i had the same issue that i knew that i was going to carry my dog our as as small as our mobile recording studio is it's still stuff to carry around and we wanted to bring our uh, episode cocktail with us yes so, this is a special um, one. and it's this is a special one and then that bottle because it's brand new it was full <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like we did this when the bottle was like almost empty and we then it's like we, it wasn't that heavy. would have been smarter i mean <laughs> but it's anyway so wait till the end of the episode for that uh for details on that um so no i, I was wearing my like straight up workout nikes because i needed to be able to walk comfortably well we wouldn't be walking a lot yeah, and we did, and we did. We ended up walking a lot more than we thought we would. But it's kind of like I really like that area. Yeah, Beacon, New York, is is real, real chill. It's it's cozy. It's cutesy. It's got the you know the generic American Main Street where it's like all the little quirky stores are, the cafes and the like and and the diner. Would you say it's a more cleaner, less crowded, more homespun Williamsburg or? Oh, I wouldn't. I it's it's like I think it's apples and watermelon like it's not even close. Not even close. I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of artists up there. I guess that's where they could move to live. I guess it's cheaper to live there. That doesn't mean it's cheap to live there. But it's also they have more space there. Yes. But no, I wouldn't. So the only connection you made with Tim Williamsburg is the creative community. The creative community that, no, that's connected the, there. but those no, I think you need a different kind of uh, artist. I think you need a different kind of artist spirit to live upstate new york i i don't think i can live upstate new york mm. I, I, I i need the hustle and bustle of the city or maybe i still have another 20 years of that in me but i mean a, a colleague of mine that i know from black book days i've seen on her social media that she moved up there and she's loving it like i'm not ready i i wouldn't be happy there i feel like that's the contrast i mean we're going to get into this episode about art and looking at the space and how the space really reflects how we think of art and how we process all that. I guess we are typically artists that remain in the city and there is the hustle and bustle that informs kind of our work. Look, but I'm a creator, but I, my artistry is limited because of the space and, the, and the, the amount of time the city takes up from your life. But just imagine how different your art would be if you had space. Yes. I mean, but, you mentioned but it's doing also your print. take, right? Yeah, if, oh my God. The, the, having a, a, I think a when big I'm enough 60, space for a print studio. When I'm 60, I would like to have a printmaking studio somewhere in upstate New York. There but, you go. Yeah, but I think even then I would not be in upstate New York. I would be somewhere warmer. <laughs> I, 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 I would be, I don't know, maybe more south, maybe even more south-south <laughs> towards, I don't know, you know, south of, south of Mexico kind of thing. South um, of America. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need, I need warm. I, I, if I'm going to, like, retire and give up on the city, I, the, the only thing that would make me give this up is access to the beach. It's not, like, there's no question there for me. You wouldn't so, go west. I lived there for three years, granted. It was, you well, know, you were there for school. I know, it doesn't matter. I don't like it there. Okay. It's not my thing. I'm not a big West Coast person. Okay. I, have, well, I have lots of love, people I love in the West Coast. 
I like visiting the West Coast. I don't like living there. There's something else about it. I, I also, like, I don't know. I think I would want to be outside of America somehow. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out in 20 years. Let's talk about the visit to Dia. You don't go to Dia Beacon just for another museum. They made this, they turned this old factory into a museum to have more space for artists to create site-specific works. And also because it's a creatively designed space, like they took this existing structure that has incredible light because it's an old factory, so the window panes and everything, but it's not just the building itself either. Like you come in through this curvature on the hill it's on the Hudson and you come in and then there's a parking lot. It's like the most dire thing in an American landscape, the parking lot, but they have rows of beautiful mid-high trees and I'd seen them in fall before and this time it was in the spring and they were full of white flowers mm -hmm. and there, it's just the, the, the landscaping there, it always like takes me back to that, like that movie with uh, Tilda Swinton. Oh, I am love. I am love. It's yes. like it makes me feel like it's this backyard of a really old, expensive mansion and somewhere in Italy. It, it's the landscaping is that pristine, but not that precious. Like there's something about it. And as soon as you even come into the, where you put your car in and you're embedded in this different feeling, you know that there's something special there. Yes. And then you get to the door, and it's not imp it's not this like gigantic thing towering over you. It's very like very modern, sterile, kind of like my grad school building, um, the Art Center, College of Design in Pasadena, like back in the day, like in the seventies, very like sterile metal boxes that were like yes. being homes and spaces. Like you get this like concrete and metal like squarish feeling when you get there. And I believe the glass was frosted or slightly darker, that. or the the lobby space, the small lobby space where like you're... As soon as you walk in, there's this concrete lobby space, I think. That's dark. Yeah, and then you feel like you're in this, again, like a very like artsy institution, like academia kind of feeling. And then you set foot into the actual structure, and then it's a different place. It's It, it totally opens up to you. So it's a this former Nabisco factory that they converted into this art space. But like you said, when you walk in, the way the building was constructed, they made sure that natural light filtered in from every angle. It's like, I've never seen anything. Like, that's where I want to live. I know it would, it would be impossible yes. to, I like, I like warm spaces and it would be impossible to stay warm in that place, especially in upstate New York temperatures. Especially but in upstate New York, yes. I mean, the light that, like the way that, that even just when you turn a corner within the building, all of a sudden you get a glimpse of the window on the side and then the angle of the ceiling like everything is a surprise composition like nothing almost feels accidental when you turn a corner in that space and it doesn't look sterile i mean there's the, the exposed brick there's the wood floors and it doesn't seem like you're going into an institution yeah it almost feels like you're going into a space that's familiar despite its massive size yeah that's true. I didn't think about it that way. I don't know. The, the space itself is incredible. Like, I, you don't come out of there thinking that, okay, so I've seen a few any Warhol screen silk screens, right? You come out of there feeling like, I saw something in a space. Well, it was completely immersive. Speaking of the Andy Warhol um, silk screens that were there, that space was immersive. It's you huge. Are, and that's what the Dia is. It's 
immersive spaces that you're not able to get in the city. No. But also, like, I mean, outside of, I mean, outside of cities, like, not this, this particular, um, space was created for artists to come in and design into so that Heiser, uh, dips, I don't, I mean, I call them dips, whatever, like the, the three dimensional holes that he created into the ground. You can't even see how far they go. It's like looking into the abyss kind of thing. That, that piece was designed for this building specifically. And, um, I mean, I got all into this because when I first visited Dia, it was, I, I was so blown away by this feeling of like being immersed in this entire space where I soak different stuff that, um, and we talked about this in a very first design book club episode, and I keep bringing it up. I have to get the book. So when I got the book, I understood what they did with this building. Yes. Like they, they created this, it's inspired by the seventies where it's all of those like in nature installations that they did that were temporary. They wanted to create a space where artists could design for. It wasn't like where like the traveling works keep rotating through. It's not just the structure to hold art for people to come in and see and then that keeps traveling the world with some small like permanent connection. Like the stuff that's there is specifically for that building. And that you space. mentioned something that was interesting. The the whole notion of the art is very also nature specific. This and site specific. So there's a lot of pieces that are that gravitate from elements of, of nature. Wood, sand, yeah. water, all these elements for sound, if you want to put sound as an element of nature. All are elements of the art that that that's represented in the space in this environment, and that's what's interesting about it. A lot of sand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I got hung up on the sand. There was I salt, I, crystals. I mean, there's a lot of natural elements. I find it well. Glass is also natural. Glass, right? rock, like, rocks, yeah. Stone, steel. I don't. I don't think steel is. Natural. Steel is 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 forged from from the earth. I thought steel was. The industrial revolution they took different metal compounds and created steel but you gotta you gotta dig out the ore yes the ore yes okay so yeah i mean it's it's just i think it's a place that it's, it's nothing there's nothing else like it yes from that perspective like it's not just you don't talk about just the warhol when you go to the beacon you it's talk not just about, about the entire space the backyard the little patio past those gigantic like hedges. manicured hedges that are completely architecturally like shaped and you go past this like almost like fake forest and then you get to this little deck only two benches it's not like this gigantic yard for people to hang out in and then it's in front of you like the entire Hudson is in front of you. You yes. don't see the water from there, but like it's just you can see the nature is in. It's a little patio. It's a place for a contemplation. It makes you feel like it's your own little porch, right? Yes. Like it's small enough to feel like a private porch, and you only shared one other bench because if there's no one else, like there's nowhere, nowhere to sit for them to do anything, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So no, the the space itself is just incredible. I, I like the natural the natural notion of I think the intent of bringing artists there to be in nature. To really, you know, I think maybe the space was also a place for artists to be influenced Possibly. by nature. I and mean. pull and draw the nature into the space. Because a lot of that shows up there. So Sarah, now we're going to talk about the art. Now, the first gallery that we went into 
we started on the left hand side, so we kind of walked through. We made a loop. We made a we made a kind of a really big loop and kind of circled into the interior of it. And the first couple of things that we saw, I remember, I remember definitely seeing those the big Hauser pits in well, the ground. Well, those before that, we saw these like weird like. Like nests. Glass, glass nest. Like there was a there was a nest nest with, like, with um, like branches, with and then there was like a glass dome-ish thing. And see, those were I, they didn't really resonate with me. Those I didn't, didn't feel speak those. to me as much. They yeah. had the neon signs uh, on the walls. Mers, yeah, Mers is the artist. I didn't really, you know. Then we walked through that fairly quickly because we were just like, okay. And then that's when we got the hyzer, and that's and that's what blew me away. That is always just yeah, it stays with you. It's like. You look into the abyss. He created an abyss for, for us to come and look at. And the, and the way your viewing perspective was, you couldn't see what it looked like in the, in yeah, the, in the interior a... and how deep it went. And that was, I mean, that was by design, of course, and that's how you get this whole notion of the abyss. It's funny because in the book that you bought almost gives away the secret. No, but I like that because I, like, you want to understand it and then and then go back and see it again. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's me. Like, I like understanding the, the, how he created that. I guess I'm, I'm glad I saw it first. Well, yeah, to, I do. To just see the expanse. Yes. And, and because it gave me a lot of things to think about. How deep was it? How, de how deep is one soul? Um, and <laughs> but that's the thing. And I it was scary at the same time. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get the book till after my first visit. So I didn't know about most of it. Like I bought the book because I was enamored by the place, and I have to learn more about it because I'm. That's the way that I operate. Like I need to get deep into like how it was built, where it was from. Blah, blah, blah. Like so, and I wasn't expecting to get such like. In the book, there's like his original sketches. You can see his first like you know scale models, like he's holding in his hand with mm. like how the shapes are. So like seeing those is inspiring to me because you also like yes. Yeah, you got the first feeling of it when you got to see it, but I also want to know. Well, we're all about you and I. I feel like are. are all I mean, that's about my process. nerdy side. Yes, that's my nerd nerdy side and that what, I need to get into it. And what we want to do is not only see the finished product, we want to know how that finished product came yeah, about. Yeah, how did you do it? There's right. this one artist on Instagram I follow. I don't even know how I found it because you know, like things lead to one thing leads to another kind of thing. I, I think she's got these like really liquidy paints that she throws on canvas and then does the foam brushy thingies and everyone asks what kind of paint is that and she has this attitude like i make my living off of this so i don't tell you girl you make your living off of it by the work that you create with it you're not the paint your work isn't the paint just tell me what what the paint is made out of i can't mm. make it even if you tell me what the paint is made it's out not of come out the same way. i can't make <laughs> what you make i'm not yes. the artist i don't have your vision i don't have your moves like it's like it i, I find that like it's not gonna get anyone anywhere it's not gonna get her anywhere either like collaboration and sharing of knowledge is how we grow I don't need to know how she does her compositions and like the moves her hand and like how like whatever just tell me what it's made out of is it water and acrylic whatever it is I feel like Who cares it, the, that knowledge enhances the work yes ultimately like every time are you the type of person that um, and this is a question directly towards you directly are you the type of person that watches a movie first or reads a book first Oh, I have to read the book first. Yes. Because <clears throat> movie makes it visual. If I see it already, visual is stronger than what I can come up with my mind. 
and it will haunt how I read the book. Yes. And there are books that I have fallen in love with that I refuse to see as movies. And now are there movies? What I'm getting at is I remember seeing movies and just being so enamored by the story I wanted to know what the source material was and how the movie came about. And I feel like this trip to Dia, when we're looking at all this art, we're talking about process because we are process people. Yes. And we want to know how things are made because it not only does it enhance the experience that we've had, it enhances the art and it enhances our thought process. Yes. I mean, I, I, we all learn from each other. This hoarding of information is, is not something that I appreciate, honestly. Um, so, yes, learning how it's made after I've seen it, yes, show me the full impact and then tell me how it's made. If I'm interested, I will listen. Not everyone is as interested as I am. They're not as... Some people enjoy just looking at a piece of art, contemplating it, and walking away from it. And that's it. And that's that's fine. That's perfectly fine, too. That's fine. I just... Yeah, you know, like, there's some artwork. When you walk into Dia Beacon, they tell you, like, some of the shows you will not be allowed to photograph. And some of them you are. And that's the artist's choice. That's when they left their work behind. They're not even alive. That... They didn't want people to photograph it. And that's that's fine. That's not the same thing. Mm. They're not like holding back knowledge. They wanted their art to be experienced in person. And that's that's a different perspective. But like hoarding of information is something that I don't appreciate. But on on that reverse conversation of it, the book itself, it doesn't give anything away in a way that ruins experience for you because it's a book there's no way you can replicate any feelings that you could possibly have by being at Dia Beacon by looking at the book. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling and, and chuckling to myself because we also saw the uh, Richard Sierra's, uh, those huge elliptical torxes. Yes. And these are massive, heavy structures of steel sheets that are bended. Now, yes... He did a sketch. We could see what his process is. I will never be able to do something like that. But it doesn't negate the experience that I have with the piece. Not at all. But also, by looking at it, by looking at the sketches of it, you don't get the feeling of it. It doesn't give it away. It doesn't give anything away. It doesn't give the magic away. Um, It doesn't give away the experience of actually seeing the 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 piece. piece, walking next to it, feeling small. Like one of them is like purposefully in a very narrow hallway. So you have to get very close to walking next to it. It gets claustrophobic. And it's tilted. So one side, you get very close to it, but it's not coming at you. And then when you come back from the other side, it's tilted towards the wall, which makes it an even narrower triangle that you're walking past. And it's like coming at you. It's, you can't fake those feelings. It's incredible. Like you, I've seen Richard Sarah's work at MoMA the first time. Um, and MoMA's central area where it's like super high ceilings and then they have, they do have big spaces to house these works in, but it doesn't have this, it didn't have the same impact. Not the seeing light, it, yeah, in an industrial the way, space. The industrialness of the space, but also the way the, those torques have light and it plays with light because it's a physical structure there's slits in it where the light sneaks in and then it lights it and like i'm sure i mean to get really deep into it we would have to like spend an entire day there to see the morning light and the evening light and all of that stuff i'm sure it would like you know one day i don't mind that 
I don't one, mind that one at day, all. One day, one day, spend I can a just whole day play. just under a Richard Serra sculpture. Yeah, I wouldn't Not mind a that problem. either. Not Let's a just problem. sit in the middle of that thing, right? Yeah. So, but it's you don't get that the move like the way that the light impacts it if you don't have natural light coming in the same way, and the ceilings are high enough but not too high. It's just the space itself already makes that work feel different. I don't know. There's something about magical about that place that you can't replicate anywhere else. What did you think of the soundscapes? The, we, the basement? The, when we were downstairs right. and it was the... Uh, Both times I was there, the basement had very strange lighting. Last time I was there, they almost had cages. This time, there was this very weird green lighting. Dan, um, Dan Flavin. That was also Dan Flavin? That was also Dan Flavin's um, work, yes. I mean, the green light, it's incredible Like when you walk into the space. But when you're coming down the stairs... Maybe I watched too Ooh. much TV, but it felt like we were in like, you know, Law & Order SVU. There's some sort of like ritual, weird ritual that happened there. Kidnapped girls There's were tortured and dismembered. Like, yeah, like it was, it felt very like cryptic. And, uh, and then the other side of it was no lighting, no special lighting in that sense, but uh, EDM music blasting. So, like, I did not miss going to EDM clubs. I mean, I haven't been to an EDM EDM club in a very long time. But it's just, like, I walked in there and I was like, when you're on the outside, it feels like when you're in the bathrooms in the club. Yes. And then when you're walking into the space and I was like, oh. But that's what's cool about it. That's a, this, was a, this is a piece that we're talking about by uh, Carl Craig, uh, famous, famous uh, DJ from Detroit. And just, what was wonderful, here's the thing, it's trippy because... It's it is empty. Creepy. Yeah, there's nobody there. There's so you no expect one this there. like mush of people and sweat and this, like this bodies bumping sea into you. Of humanity like all over you and this was not that experience, but the what, sound I wonder was it. what the date of that work is because I think the impact of it post COVID when we're like freaked out about people being in your face versus like if they displayed this I don't know, before COVID, it wouldn't would it have the same impact? I would ima- I would that's a good question because I wonder if, it, if this was pre-COVID, did they have a party in there and had people jammed in there? Because we're experiencing, we're experiencing it, well, during COVID still, right? Yeah. And it's empty. And it seemed appropriate. Yes. <laughs> that we would That's experience it, it that like, way. Like, I wonder, we, should, we need to look that up. So the work is dated 2020. So he created this concept um, with Thea Beacon in 2020 after this stuff happened. I just, I wish that there was a little bit more information about how he, I I want, I want to know what emotions he wanted to bring out. Well, don't you feel that comes out kind of in the the feeling within yourself when you experience it? I I don't don't think he wanted to turn, like, I don't think he, he, like, I mean, he's a DJ. Of course he loves it. Well, Well, here's the thing. He's a DJ. I'm sure his whole thing is measuring the crowd, measuring their response and, and reacting accordingly. Imagine being a DJ in an empty space like this. I mean, this is all pre-recorded music. I don't know. For me, yes, it is pre-recorded music. He's not playing it. It's not just that. He, he created a sonic experience. That's the whole thing, right? So that experience that he's... Art is created to evoke emotion. Mm-hmm. What did he want to evoke in us? That's the thing. You're I looking like... at it from his perspective as if he wants the reaction from the crowd. You're looking at it that way. I'm saying, what did he want me to feel when I'm in there? Well, how did you feel? I hate clubs <laughs> and EDM music, like absolutely, like that. Didn't it, but wasn't it a throwback? I feel like this is a throwback <laughs> to the time. 
the to the time where I used to go to clubs and this is what I was listening to, and it and it was very nostalgic. I I, I don't lo- I don't want to go to See, clubs, but I I, I long for the experience I, of the feeling mm. of that, and I like that. Oh thank God, I don't have to do this anymore in life. Oh uh, like, my, I, I'm. No, like I. My knees won't take it. I can't stay up for that. No, late. it's not that. <laughs> like, I, look, I, I don't. I, I never cared much for the EDM music in the first place. It's just not my taste. To each his own. It's not like a thing against the music itself. But that was the trend in the two thousands. That's where we were all going to party. There was Ark. They didn't even serve alcohol. I'm. I didn't understand it back then. In retrospect, maybe because they, they knew that people would show up already high on Molly. Whatever it is. I don't know. Never did that much drugs either. So I was there. I had to pregame and show up drunk. And then that wouldn't carry you throughout the whole thing. Because they opened at midnight. And they would go till noon the next day. And I remember leaving the club. It was daylight out. like Because all the clubs that serve alcohol in New York City close, have to legally close by 4 a.m. But because they didn't serve alcohol, it would go on and on and on. But they also literally did a prison search so that you didn't smuggle drugs in. I guess I'll correct and say that I don't long for those days as I as, as I would want to do that now because I would definitely not want no, to be in a club now. Me, but but I, 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 it, brings back, it brings back warm nostalgia for me. Not for me. I, I'm realizing I, I really that now, like, I, you know, like when you're young, you go do things, whatever your friends are doing, and you figure out whether you like it or not. Thank God that did not last. Anyway, that whole, see, like, you looked at it warmly. And I felt like I walked 10 steps in and I was like, okay, I don't need this ever. Not as art. Not as, like, it. You didn't appreciate the work? I appreciate the work. I got the feeling. It did not remind me of things that I appreciate in life. Okay. So, like, you look at it warmly. I look at other things from my youth warmly. Not (laughs) not the EDM clubbing scene, because that's definitely not not my thing. So... But that was like, see, that's the thing about that space. Like you go in and you come out and, and then there's this entire building that never hears that music. I mean, the soundproofing is incredible. Yes. <laughs> Considering how big the space is. Yeah. Because so like, you don't hear it in the other galleries. No, but, not at all. Like not even in the other part. No, that, that, um, that is a good point. Because I so didn't hear it anywhere it's else. Just, it's very contained. And I, I, yes, of course, I appreciate that. Like it was... It surprised me. It shocked me. I guess that was like you know the positive takes away takeaways from it. I just you know no. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to ever go to an EDM club. So Sarah, now that we're well immersed in Dia, and we've experienced it, what stayed with you? What pieces spoke to you? What was your impression? Um, I think. It's funny that because that did nothing for you. Um, the broken pieces, um, the broken glass pieces, always, always just, I can look at that forever. There's like, there's light goes through, there's translucency, there's like depth of color. It's interesting that it did nothing to you, but even when I first saw it, uh, the map of broken glass, Atlantis by Robert Smithson, the, it's, it's a pile of broken turquoise glass but there's there's depth to it because of translucency the color intensifies there's gradients there's shapes there's so much to it i just don't know how they keep it clean because you can't be dusting that like all i all i can very carefully how how does that stay clean they can't move it but i like the thing itself is just 
I can look at something like that for hours and just get lost in it. You know what um, it's kind of like Mark Rothko for me. Like the the depth is there, the the shading and the and the colors, but this is three dimensional and there's nowhere to sit around it. So you have to, it makes you walk around it. It's interesting you you contrast that piece with with Rothko because for me Rothko is very soothing. Yeah, like this you can is sit and, to and totally fall into a Rothko, but for this for some reason this piece site-specific piece of shards of broken glass just scares me to my core. See, that is it's so, so unsettling. I, I don't see any... I, I don't see any soothingness. See, it the doesn't thing about glasses, you know those, like, the sea glass of, you know, from the lightning, sand turns into glass? Yes. So it's it's part of nature, right? It's not... The, like, the shards of glass you're looking at it as something that's going to cut you. I'm looking at it as it's like it's part of nature. It's just layers and layers of nature. So there's something soothing about it to me. I don't know. But this is man-made nature. Sea glass is smooth nature. Yeah, And that's the thing. I, like, I get it, but, like, it's not completely... I mean, it, it, it isn't... It wasn't shaped in a manner to harm. No. It's, so, like... The way that the pile is set up, it's not coming at you. It's just doing its own thing where it is. So I understand why. I mean, my, that's why I mentioned Rothko because that is the one thing that you can just sit there and look into space till the end of time. This this kind of gives me that soothing space, that soothing feeling. That's wonderful. I feel that way with the with um, the Richard Serra, the elliptical torxes. Like for those me, those kind of the, those. Are mesmerizing but they do scare me a little bit because it makes me feel like i'm on an alien ship and we watch enough tv to know that that's you never know where that's gonna go <laughs> i i find them just so fascinating like there's there's not a there's not a surface that has not been gradated with the with the sense of time with the patina that's on the steel the the magnitude of them the heaviness of them and also just looking at these beautiful curves and what brute force it took to create them the contrast of that to me is mind-boggling and i i love that i think what i come away with when at the dia is the sense of what we talked about at the top of the episode about introducing nature into a space and having the artist really occupy a space and bring nature into it i, I feel like all of the work represented that aspect and the intent, I think, of what the creators were for this museum. One thing that I was sad not to see was the Fred Sandbach's string installations, mm -hmm. which I kind of wanted you to see it because that I never heard of him before when I until I went to Dia years ago, and I came back along with the Dia book. I bought three books about Fred Sandbach. <laughs> Eventually, the strings. Um, not directly that wasn't my immediate be like okay this is what i'm gonna do with my studio's branding but eventually the crisscrossing of the of the strings creating spatial illusion mm. is what kind of um what what drove the rebranding when i was rebranding the studio um there's something about creating it's like he would have these like super skinny strings repeating crisscrossing and it changes how you see a, a corner of that structure. It changes your perspective of it. The, it introduces color, but in a, like it's just, that I wish was there so we could talk about it because years later, I still can't get over the first impact of seeing that work. 
What you're saying reminds me of the Dan Flavin pieces that we saw, yes. all the light yeah, pieces, yes. and, and, and in particular, not only just all the series of color lights, but when you walk into that corner space, there's a series of fluorescent round bulbs yeah. that are in a triangular pattern that's just mesmerizing. And thinking that that, no, that fluorescent bulb usually is a, is a deterrent for people. Like yes, looking at fluorescent light. light. I still yes. want to change my kitchen lighting. It feels like prison lighting. It feels lighting. like, but, but the way he's put all of them together yeah. was beautiful. Yes, was and beautiful. ironically, when I first saw those the, the works with the light, um, the name of my studio is Lumens, so that I, I felt that because it's light-related, I was like literally looking at every PC like, what would I get out of this? Would it, would it, would it help me with, with lumens anyway? Like, can I, what can I get out of this? It had nothing to do with those. It was the streams. Like, it's just you don't... You don't go to these spaces. You don't visit these spaces to get an impact immediately. You mm. like you, it's not like, well, I have this project. Let me go see these. You go. You see. It stays with you. You don't think about it for a month. You don't think about it for three years. But then it comes back to you when you need it, when the project calls for it, when you are on the hunt for an idea or a feeling, and you're like, oh, there was that thing that I saw at Dia. That's how it comes back, and that's. That's the whole purpose of actually interacting with different different types of medium. And because we talk about a lot about our books and comparing our libraries, um, especially in the last episode, I'm realizing that I collect a lot more architectural and spatial books mm -hmm. than I do design books and uh, art, art books, actually, for some reason. Space know. is important to you. I did not realize that though. Like that, that's like that's kind of a realization because when we get really nerdy talking about these things and wander around in our heads, it, this is a discovery out of the conversations of the podcast for me that I'm realizing that I actually value that a lot more than some other forms of, I guess, creative output. I like the filling our creative coffers for a future uh, application and using this experience and going to places and looking at art and, and, and just being immersed into a space that gives us the reserves to move forward in, in any future endeavor. I like awesome. that. And now for our, our favorite part of this and every episode, our signature cocktail. Sarah, we're doing something a little bit different because we were on location at the museum and we bought a special drink with us. You want to describe what it is? Yes. So um, there's a new uh, Mezcal brand, OAX Original or OAX Original. I'm not sure how they pronounce it. It is very unique looking. Three bottles. There's a pink one, there's a black one, and there's a, a white one. Series of three types of Mezcal under this brand. And the bottle is a ceramic bottle that honors the architecture of Luis Barragan, um, the Mexican Oaxacan's uh, ceramics. There's a lot of culture that just comes through this bottle just by itself. The architectural part of it, the three-dimensional, the, the triangular um, shape cut it into a circular tube the cork topping, like all of it. It's like the most beautiful mezcal bottles I've seen. And there's a lot of new mezcal brands out there. And 
there were three kinds of this and each, each kind has a color. We went with the pink one, the Tepestate, and it that it just, um, well, we picked the pink one because that seemed to be the most like punchy standout bottle to, to at least try it out. And we wanted to bring this beautiful architectural bottle into this beautiful space. And we did a little bit of a, you know, college style. Very clandestine operation that we had where we Definitely. snuck the bottle in well, to photograph it yes, in the space. We, we photographed it in with inside the Richard Sarah Torque. Yes. And I, you know, yes, you can check our stories for all of the all of the background scenes of me trying to take pictures of this bottle in space, and it just the the three tones of those three torques in a row in that huge space. I mean, you hold this beautifully pink bottle that is also very dimensional, three dimensional, and like the way that it resonates Baragon's architecture because the way he he used the light the way the light comes into a space and he directed it to light up his own space like he would make these little slits he had a, a gold painting at the top of the stairs instead of putting a light in that space like he really directed light within physical structures and because this is such a uniquely shaped bottle it's so three-dimensional it the way that the light creates shadows around it is very reminiscent of those like Baragon buildings. And when you put that inside the torque with the slit where the light is so controlled, it just kind of belongs there. How would you describe the flavor? Well, it, that's my take on the bottle. And we did this whole trip to like put this into context of a beautiful space. And Alex, why don't you talk about the flavor a little bit? I really enjoyed this mezcal. It was smoky. Uh, and really smooth, and it was tasty. There was a, there were sweet notes, uh, sweet elements to it that I really enjoyed. And it's the smoothest mezcal I've I've tried. There was another brand I think you had the, the taller bottle there. The, yeah, the we covered it on our uh, second season, which was a, which yeah. was real smooth. So here's the thing: like I am not a huge mezcal drinker, and I'm glad I'm learning about mezcal from the higher end and not getting sick from the lower end. <laughs> Yeah, bad mezcal is really bad because it's I, like fake smoke inhaling. Yeah, but I really love this flavor. It was really, really yeah, good. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of sweetness to it that I really liked uh, compared to other ones that we've tried. Um, I mean, there's so many kinds of mezcal out there, and I don't really know it that well either. I'm also kind of just trying one brand at a time. But this one is definitely like, this is your sipping mezcal, not your, like... It's too precious to be mixed into cocktails, I think. I would agree. So we, we snuck the bottle in and then we had our little... Um, we had a photo shoot we had our <laughs> with well, it. We had our little cocktail cheer moment on the patio, oh, yes. on the porch, in front of the hedges, in front of the building. Um, so it's we took this whole like cocktail thing to a different experience. We wanted it on location. There's like... I'm, we're not going to be making cocktails in that spot. But also, I don't think we could have done anything more appropriate for this space than this bottle. Exactly. It's not just a bottle with a sticker on it. It's just incredibly beautifully made. Thank you for hanging with us for a list of resources mentioned in this episode. Hop onto our site, GatsbyFridays.com. You can learn more about the mezcal we use, OAX Original, on our website, GatsbyFridays.com. 
for show notes or if you want to leave a comment, suggest a show topic, get at us on our site. Don't forget to rate us, give us five stars, and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to get us in front of more ears and build our audience. Or if you're a Spotify person, make sure you follow Gatsby Fridays. Follow us on Instagram for exclusive content like our trip to Dia Beacon on our Insta stories throughout the week. Stay with us on our next episode as we roll with it. This, this is Gatsby, Gatsby Fridays. Fridays.